this is it. Ecclesiastes 12.1. I had no idea these young folks were going to be singing. You'll see the connection very quickly. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Verse number 1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. The title of the message is found here in the text, The Days of Thy Youth. When I was a young preacher, I listened to older preachers with great delight and admiration. Living in Springfield, Missouri, I had the, the privilege. It's a very unique place, uh, unlike, unlike any other city uh, in the world in some ways. And uh, I had the privilege of hearing the very best preachers uh, of anywhere. I hear some time ago, and I can't remember the details, I read somebody had compiled a list of the 75 or maybe it was the 50 best preachers ever. And I went down that list and uh, and had met 12 of them and know some of them very well. And I thought, uh, you know, you <laughs> got to live a few years in order to do that, but but I had the privilege of listening to all of those old timers, and uh, but the one thing that bothered me, uh, and, and I just couldn't seem to help it, and it sounds silly, but it 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 was their repeated reference to the good old days. I, they'd all get up there and talk about how it used to be, and all of the things they had experienced, and. Uh, great revivals that they had witnessed and so on and so forth. And all of that was really interesting to me, but it was really very frustrating because uh, their experience was beyond my reach and their testimonies were so wonderful that, you know, it whet my appetite for the same thing. But here I am, a young preacher. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to do any of those things. But one day, for some reason, it dawned on me that I had something they didn't have and they could never have again, and that was youth. I had youth, I had strength, I had boundless energy, and, and I put it to use because within just, a, within just a few years, I was averaging preaching three times a day. I, I sat down and went through my record book one time and uh, went over a three-year period and averaged three, that's 1,095 if I multiplied right, sermons in that three-year period. And uh, Bev can tell you better than anyone else that I mean I was on the road or I was doing something all of the time and uh, was busy. At the same time, I watched many of those dear men of God begin to wind down. I watched them. They were already old, but I watched them as they grew decrepit and had to retire from the ministry, and I've watched them pass away now. We moved to Cincinnati in 1977, 
And shortly after moving there, I visited an old preacher friend who was very well-known, uh, Brother Norman Wells. And I visited Brother Norman, and he was in the hospital at the time. But he, because of his poor health, it had become necessary for him every afternoon. He had a cot in the office, or I think it was actually a couch, but he had to lay down and take a nap. And I mean, there was nobody come in, no, no phone calls, nothing that could disturb him. And I thought, my land, why would a man have to take a nap in the middle of the afternoon? I don't understand that. But I can kind of understand it now because, you know, uh, uh, now most days I'm forced to take a nap, whether it's in the recliner or some way or another, because the, the strength of my youth is, is gone. So let me get to the point. And, and tonight I want to take a few minutes with our text in mind. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. And I want to especially give some advice to those who are young, strong, full of energy. And actually, it's not me giving the advice. It actually comes from Solomon. Brother Kenneth here some time ago, I don't know, he might still be there. But I know he went through the book of Ecclesiastes with the young people. And I'm sure that was a, a wonderful experience for them. Uh, for some reason, for some reason... Most people never see the value of this book. And I'm telling you, if there was ever a starting place in the Bible, if you're dealing with somebody that is unsaved and they won't know what life is all about, what the Bible is all about, what's the big deal about Christianity, this is the place to start because it shows that empty hole in man's heart without the Lord. So... Let's look at some things here, some things that as a young person you need to do. Number one, you need to discover what God wants you to do. Look at verse number 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, he's wrapping it all up, neat little package. Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Here we see man's responsibility, and it's all summed up in these three words. He says, keep his commandments. Now, notice, these are not suggestions. God is not saying, let me give you a few good ideas about how you ought to live your life. These are commandments, and he lets us know here that by these commandments, our life is to be regulated and that we are responsible for our actions. God is going to call all of us into account for the way that we live, whether it's good, whether it's bad. We've got to, in some way, give an account of the life that we live, so... He says, keep his commandments. Now, you can't keep his commandments if you don't know his commandments. Amen. And when we talk about this, understand the Ten Commandments 
is just a summation. It, it, you know, it, it doesn't cover everything in one sense. It doesn't go into the details. It is a summation of all of our responsibility, a summation of what God expects from us. But there are much more. Jesus said, I give unto you a new commandment that you love one another. And so whatever it is that God requires from you, that is, a requir- that is a commandment for you. And we need to keep that in mind. There are things that God expects from all of us, regardless of who you are. But there are other things that God expects from you only. In other words, God has a purpose for all of us that we glorify Him. That's the main purpose of every Christian. The Bible says we were created for His glory. The Bible says that all of creation is the heavens were created for His glory. The nation of Israel was established for His glory. The church exists for His glory. So everything, the purpose of everything is for the glory of God. And that never changes. But God... God has a mission for each and every one of us as we work toward that purpose of bringing Him glory. And we glorify God through obedience to His Word with a cheerful heart. It's our duty to discover God's will for our life. And the first step, the first step is being willing to do God's will. That's why Jesus said, you know, if any man is willing to do what he commands, he shall know the will of God. If you're confused about the will of God, that doesn't tell me God has failed to reveal it to you. That tells me that you're not willing to really do it. Because, listen, when you get willing to do anything and everything God wants you to do, I'll guarantee you God will reveal that to you, and you'll know God's specific plan for your life. I can remember right after I got saved. I surrendered to preach two months after I got saved. Two months and about eight days, in fact. And uh, in between that time, nearly every service, even though I'd trusted Christ as my Savior, I knew I was saved, had no doubt about that, but nearly every service, the invitation was given, and boy, here I'd come. And it got so after a while. You know, poor old Brother Hankins, it's like, what are you coming for? And I said, I don't know. I, I, I just said, I don't know. I can't explain it. I, I said, I just know that God wants me to do something that that, that I want to be more than just saved. I, you know, I, I, want, I want to live for the Lord. Well, he gave me a Sunday school class. I, I asked for it. I said, uh, uh, I'd like to teach a Sunday school class. And, and and I told him, I said, I don't know anything at all about the Bible. What's, he said, how are you going to teach a class if I, you don't know anything about the Bible? And I said, well, I tell you what, if you'll give me a room and give me, you know, a few kids to teach and you'll give me the lesson, I'll come over to the parsonage one day a week and you can teach me the lesson and I'll teach the lesson to the kids on Sunday. I don't recommend preachers do this. That was not, not a good idea. But for some reason, he did that. And to make a long story short, in just very quick time, because I know I meant it with all of my heart, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm willing to go anywhere, do anything you want me to do. And God let me know I want you to preach. Now, let me tell you, 
God has a plan for each and every one of you, and you need to discover God's plan for your life. It's, because, it, listen, if you miss that, you've missed it all together. Don't wait till you're 30 or 40 years old and try to figure out what God wants you to do. There is no reason why you can't know God's will for your life at this stage in your life. Secondly, you need, having discovered what God wants you to do, you need to devote yourself to doing it. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse number 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. That simply means put everything that you've got into it. That means that you are to be devoted to it. Do it with all of your might. Now, you can go through the motions, you know, and just uh, attend church and uh, carry your Bible and uh, give your money. You can go through the motions and do the bare minimum, or you can put everything you've got into it. Uh, I, I grew up playing playing ball, and uh, up <laughs> up until well, you know, the incident with my best friend, and I I, I, I literally quit playing for several years there, and uh, but anyway. Whenever I was playing ball back then, I mean, it was it was Pete Rose-type ball. That's the way you played. You put everything you had into it. You know, that's the way it ought to be in whatever we do. I remember my, my pastor talking about doing the will of God, and he said, you know, and he demonstrated, he got his hanky out, and we had paneling on the walls back then, and he said, if God called me to be a knothole polisher... He run over to the side over there and got his hanky out and started rubbing. He said, I'd be the best knothole polisher God ever had, you know. I'd do the very best I could. Look, that's the way we ought to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. We need to be devoted to it. Discover the will of God and do it with all of your heart. And that ought to be more important to you than anything else, by the way. Stop and think tonight what consumes most of your time, most of your effort, most of your energy. What is it that you spend the most of your life on? Does it have to do with spiritual things? Are you investing your life in things that are going to be of eternal benefit? Are you going to invest your life in things that, well... Whenever you're dead and gone, it's going to be worthless. Notice he says here, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all of thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. In other words, then it's going to be too late. Whatever you do, you need to do it right now with everything you've got. Number three, you ought to draw what you can from those who are older and or wiser. And I put that and or wiser in there because a lot of older people are not necessarily wiser than you are. But you need to draw from them all of the knowledge and the wisdom that you can possibly gain. That's exactly what we see in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is reaching out to the next generation and he's trying to help them avoid the mistakes that he made. It'll be a great day in your life whenever you wake up one day and realize, 
I don't know it all, and I can't do it all. Teen, teenage, every parent, if you've had teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. There comes a time where they cross that line that all of a sudden they know it all. You, you know, it, 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 it might be they can work a mathematical equation in school, but oh, mom and dad, they forgot all about how to do algebra, man, all of the X's and the O's. You, I mean, you're, you're so mixed up. And so the kid, I mean, they can knock that out just like it's nothing, you know. So now they get to thinking, hey, I'm getting smarter than mom or dad. Listen, you might know a lot more about uh, trig and geometry and algebra. Uh, You might know more than mom and dad does about that. But I'm telling you, they know some stuff about life that you don't know. And you don't know it all. And the fact of the matter is you need to draw everything you can from those that are older and or wiser. Uh, It would be foolish for you to have that opportunity and not take advantage of it. Everybody, I like what I believe it was General Schwarzkopf said, every man is my teacher, whether they're a success or a failure. You can learn from their achievements you can learn from their failures whatever it is and we need to be a student of mankind we need to look at the lives of others and learn everything we can from them every preacher and believe me when you've been preaching as long as i have you've heard just about all of the illustrations and some of those illustrations after a while I've got some that I don't even want to use anymore because I've heard so many versions of them. I know it can't be true. It might have started out as being true, but now it is such a mixed-up conglomerate and preachers tell it in different ways that, that you know I'm afraid to use it lest somebody call me on it and it's not really a true story. And you know I, I want to be honest when I preach. But listen, what I'm saying is, Every preacher learns everything he knows from somebody. It's just not by osmosis. And God doesn't just open up your head and pour in a gallon of knowledge. You learn everything you know from someone. It might be observing their life. It might be reading a book. It might be listening to a sermon or a Sunday school lesson or whatever it is. But we all learn from someone, and you need to draw all the wisdom that you can possibly get from others. But then, and this goes along with it, you need to develop strong friendships. Turn to chapter 4 and verse number 9. Chapter 4 and verse number 9. And he says, Two two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, there's an awesome lesson in this for us. You know, sometimes we think, and I think we go overboard whenever it comes to putting an emphasis and dividing people up into different groups. You know, we've got the, we've got the young at heart, and you know, and we've got the 
we've got the uh, we've got the young people over here, and we got the younger kids over here. We get them all divided up, and for some things that's well and good. But what in the world is wrong with with us all mixing and mingling? I, let me tell you the delight. The delight of elderly people is to be around those little children. That ju- that just does something to your heart. It, 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 it moves you. You go to the nursing home, for example, and whenever whenever young at heart and kept, when they go over there, and, and they'll have some of the little kids with them, and boy, I'm telling you what, those elderly people there take to those little kids, their faces just light up when they see those little kids. And by the way, the little kids love attention from the older people, you see. So it's important, it's important that we don't limit ourselves to those of our own age group, but rather that we develop friendship. And notice he's talking about the importance of it. He says, you know, just a single chord is something that you can really break easy, but a threefold cord's not something that can quickly be broken. You've wrapped it together. You've got the strength of all three strands now, and that's the way it is. That's why you need friendships because there are going to be times that you're going to fall, times you're going to fail, going to be times that you need somebody to help you. And I'm glad as a young Christian I had some people in my life that helped me. I had one one good friend uh, by the name of Paul Davis. Paul was a red-headed fellow. He was a deacon in the church. He was actually just maybe a year or two, maybe older than I was, but he had been saved for years. He was a deacon in the church. And uh, we'd go over to his house, him and Jeanette, and eat chocolate popcorn and just had a big time. And he and I would go hunting together and things and and, and, and I can remember right from the get-go, and I, I had no idea how to tie a tie. And uh, I never wore a tie until I started going to church. He said, here, let me show you how to tie this tie. And uh, he showed me how to tie a Windsor knot, and I've been tying them ever since that day. But Paul was the kind of guy, I'm telling you, if, if he even got wind that you was thinking about maybe not going to miss a service or something, he wouldn't have let you backslide for anything. You, you know, I've often said I couldn't backslide if I want to because that red-headed deacon had been over there knocking on my door, and I knew it. He, he was like a hound dog. He wasn't going to get off the trail and wasn't going to give up on me. My pastor was the same way. I can remember one night I'd throw some kind of a hissy fit over something. I think it was with my mother-in-law, actually. And, boy, I got all bent out of shape. I was walking down Commercial Street there in Springfield somewhere. I don't know whether they have called the preacher or what, but the preacher found out. Next thing I know, he comes pulling up there in the car, said, get in this car. And uh, and, and I did, and he gave, he gave me a lecture but what I'm saying is I, I had people in my life. My wife is one of those people, the main one that has been there for me. But I've had friends other than that that have been there encouraging me. And we all need those kind of friends. Listen, your best friends ought to be Christians. Don't you get all mixed up with the world. The Bible talks about us being a separated people. 
separated from the world. It's not talking about you leaving the impression that you're better than others. It's not talking about you keeping everybody at school at arm's length like you're holier than thou and you don't want anything to do with them. Listen, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If you're going to reach them, you've got to have contact with them. You've got to love them and show them the love of Christ. But they don't become your best friends. You can't afford to establish relationships like that. Your best friends ought to be the the members of the church that you're a member of. It's like family. And you need that network of friends. Number five, I think, whatever comes next, you, you need to deliver yourself from the distractions in life. I've often said, and, uh, and hopefully some of you have remembered it, that sinless things can become sinful. Somebody says, well, what I'm doing is not anything wrong with it. The Bible doesn't condemn this or that. It's not a sin to do this. Well, look, it might not be a sin for you to do it unless unless it proves to be a distraction from what you ought to be doing. Strangely enough, the biggest enemy of the best is good, not bad. biggest enemy of the best is the good because there's so many times we get our life just filled with all of these good things good causes not anything sinful i could just give you a long list of different things well you know i hesitate to do that because well i will anyway it can be the Bluebirds, the Brownies, the Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts. It can be the YMCA, the YWCA. It can be it can be forty eleven different things that, in and of themselves, it's fine and dandy. You know, maybe it's coaching little league baseball. Whatever it is, it might be it might be deer hunting or whatever it is that in and of itself there's not anything wrong with it but after a while you find yourself neglecting your christian responsibilities in pursuit of those things that you enjoy. Listen, the cause that you're involved in might be, you say, well, I'm going to join the Young Republican Party and I'm going to get involved in politics. I, someday I'm going to run for, for office and what have you. You know, it really sounds like a great deal, but it's not a great deal if it distracts you from what God wants you to do. Listen to what Paul said to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse number 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That word entangleth means to to weave, to entwine, to wrap around. It's where the fibers become meshed together. And he says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. And here's why. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. How many of you remember back whenever the kiddos used to sing, I'm in the Lord's army? How many, how many of you know that song? Any, any, all of the older people, none of, the, none of you kids know that? I'm in the Lord's army? Oh, there's one. Yeah, yeah. We, we used to sing, Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. It's sometimes we forget that we're in a battle and, and that we have an adversary 
and that we are soldiers on the battlefield for Christ. Now, those of you that have been in the military, I mean, you can, you better than I can tell everything that is required of somebody that's in the military. I'll tell you one thing. Whenever, when, when Jason joined the Army, Lord Haven, I remember going to South Carolina whenever he was graduating from boot camp out there. And uh, <laughs> whenever they get there at boot camp, you know, they don't operate their own agenda or on their own schedule. It's not like, well, man, I can't get up now. I was up late last night. I'm going to sleep in today. Or it's not like, hey, dude, the final four is on. What are you talking about? You know, I, I'm not going out there in March today. I've got to stay in here and watch the ball game. My favorite team's playing. You don't operate that way. You operate according to their rules and you go through this rigorous training program and you operate under the authority of somebody that is over you giving you orders. Isn't it strange? All these kids, I'm sick and tired of taking orders from mom and dad. I, I want to get out on my own. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And then go join the army. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you. I don't care how long you live. There's always going to be somebody telling you what to do. It might be in prison, yeah, or it might be in the office out here where you have a supervisor, but somebody's always going to be telling you what to do. You've got to learn to fall into line under authority, and you've got to learn that you have certain responsibilities and think of yourself as being a soldier in the army of the Lord. You have to discipline yourself. You can't afford to get all involved in the things of this world to the point that it just binds you up, and now you don't have the freedom to get out here and to serve the Lord. In those days, in those days, it was necessary whenever an attack occurred and the signal was sounded, it was necessary for the men to drop everything they were doing and go out and respond to that call and take part in the battle. And, and, and here, that's the idea here. No man that war, if he's going to go out to war, he can't be entangled with all of the other affairs of this life. You can't afford to get so wrapped up in the stuff of this life that you don't have time for God. Let me give you one more thing. Do what you can while you can. Do what you can while you can. Before you know it, your youthful days are going to be gone and you're going to be limited in what you're able to do. Look here in chapter 12 and verse 3. I wish I had 30 minutes or more to just talk about these verses, but maybe you'll get the gist of it. In the days when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Most commentators tell us that's talking about the legs, the knees especially. People get older, and what happens? <laughs> You need a cane. And the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders shall cease because they are few. You don't have a mouthful of teeth anymore. And those that look out the windows be darkened. You can't see. You've got to get glasses. And after a while, you've got to get, you got to get bifocals. And after a while, you've got to get trifocals. And after a while, you take them off and put them in your pocket and get by the best that you can. 
And the door shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. Yeah, you can't hear anything. But wow, some of the some of the